Father, we thank you for this day and for this place uh, where we can gather in freedom to worship. Uh, we pray that you would help us to redeem the time uh, in this Sunday school period. In Christ's name, amen. amen. So we're continuing in chapter 26 of the Confession, uh, which is communion with saints. And we kind of made it halfway through section 2 which is there on page 935 the last time. So to place this in its context, can someone read for me Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 through, it's actually all one sentence, (laughs) 3 through 22. Ephesians 2, 3 through 22. So, the message of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 through 22, is that collectively, we are united to Christ, but individually, as people groups, Gentiles and Jews, we are united to Christ and we are united to one another, so that together, Gentiles and Jews 
we are described as one new man. Now, all that sounds straightforward enough. So first off, can we agree that that's what Paul's saying there in Ephesians chapter 2? That's what Paul's saying. That we're united to Christ and united to one another, and in Christ we are one new man. Here's where it gets challenging. How do you deal with racism in the church? It's it's usually a swift kick in the rear. Here's the point that I'm trying to make. We allow divisions that our culture has established to enter into our church. And part of the problem, and I see this especially with young people, with teenagers, how many of you young people know somebody that is not a Christian that is a much nicer person than someone you know that is a Christian? (laughs) I think we all do. We all know people who are brothers and sisters in the Lord and are absolute jerks. And we all know people who are just, as we would say, they're the salt of the earth. They're just the nicest people. They're the most outgoing. They're the friendliest. They're the most trustworthy and honest. You know, I've, I've, I've said myself and I've heard plenty of other people say it. I would much rather have an honest pagan working on my car than an incompetent Christian. Uh, if you tell me on your business card, you know, you make that you're a Christian front and center, I always kind of go, either that means you're going to do a shoddy piece of work and expect me to let love cover a multitude of sins, or you're going to expect a discount or something like that. Uh, whereas, you know, the, the reality is that the natural divisions that you and I have, the natural divisions that our society has, this is a nice person, I feel more affinity to them than I do this jerk who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. These natural divisions that are normal and natural to us are the very divisions that you and I must Overcome. We must overcome it. This is how we walk differently from the world. Uh, by recognizing that my natural drift is towards people who look like me, think like me, talk like me, all of those things, people that affirm me. This is a problem I would say today in social media is that our communities are defined by people who affirm us, uh, people who encourage us, people who are always positive towards us. Those become closer uh, in our community than people who will lovingly rebuke us. And yet, it's the Word of God that says, you know, you who see another brother in sin, you who are spiritual, Restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. The scripture assumes confrontation. 
Uh, and, and we don't like that. I can tell you as a pastor, uh, when people come to me with some decision, uh, whether it be to leave the church or some decision that they're upset about, it's often, they've been dwelling on this for a long, long time. They've been talking to all their friends and coworkers. They've been putting out feelers on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram or whatever, uh, saying, you know, this is the horrible person and, and everybody on their Instagram feed is going, oh yeah, you know, you go, you're right, you're picked on, blah, blah, blah. And by the time they come to me, they're just informing me of their decision. They're not seeking any input from me whatsoever in their decision. And I say, fine, fine, go, go experience the result of that destructiveness. Uh, because it is destructive. When we do not seek wise counsel, you will end up destroyed. That's the message of Scripture. Uh, the, the wise person seeks wise counsel. And we do so from this standpoint of this person that I don't like is my brother, is my sister. This person that I don't have a common affinity with. We have a different culture. They, you know, Christmas celebrations in Puerto Rico involve singing at somebody's house at midnight. If you come to my house at midnight on Christmas, I'm going to meet you with a shotgun. Uh, not literally. <laughs> but, you know, and, and that's a silly example. That's a silly example of, of cultural differences. But we do tend to gravitate towards people who look and think just like us. And that is not the model that's given to us in Scripture. And so please hear this one thing most carefully and most clearly. The brother, the sister that you have in the Lord is your family. Whether you like them or not is irrelevant. Whether, whether you feel a common connection to them or not is irrelevant. You are called to love them. And you are called to develop those relationships with them. That's the doctrine of communion of saints. And that's what Paul is teaching there in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 through 22. That God has reconciled you to Christ, and that Christ has reconciled you to one another across ethnic lines, Jew and Gentile. So that together, Jew and Gentile, we are one new creation, one new man. And so, so I really want to hammer that home. I really want to drill that in. Uh, because again, it's not just young people. Uh, but, but I will, I will say, since none of my kids are present, uh, here in the room today, I think with each of my kids, as they went through that sort of crisis of faith, uh, that was, that was the pressing challenge for them. Is they had friends who were Muslim. And they are amazing people. They're dear friends. They've, their, their Muslim friends have got their back and they've got their Muslim friends back and they feel a lot closer to this Muslim young man, Muslim young woman than they feel to somebody 
older in church that's all in their mind is always looking down their nose at them, is always judging them, is always being critical of them. Anytime they come with some, you know, prayer request or something like that, they can hear the smirk uh, of of this older brother, older sister in the Lord that's not being patient and gentle and encouraging like they should be. And so they would come to me and say, Dad, how can you tell me that this person's going to heaven and this person's going to hell? Uh, because this person is a nice person and this person is a jerk. And the reality is, number one, how nice or how bad you are has got nothing to do because the Bible says all of us are completely dead in trespasses and sins. We're all jerks uh, before the sight of God. So that's got nothing to do with it. And secondly, God tells you. God says. I mean, this is not... That's, that's why I had you read the passage. This is not uh, mysterious. Uh, it's not something that we have to understand deep theology to get to. It's just what the Bible says, that we are one in Christ. Shouldn't be, but often it is. Well, I think we're saying the same thing, that even someone who's at a different level in their Christian walk, that's my brother, that's my sister, that's who I should be leaning into. I'm just saying as a matter of practice, as a matter of outworking, as I've watched not just my children, but as I've watched other uh, young people in the church, this is a real existential problem for them, is this person is a stand-up guy, and this person is a jerk. And I want to be around the stand-up guy, and I don't want to call that jerk my brother. Uh, and and I think that's natural. That's natural to us. Uh, but the Bible calls us to something different. Uh, and and let me go further for those of you who are not so young, but maybe in the uh, 20s and 30s and 40s age range. I think this does speak very clearly to cancel culture. Uh and, and this is something that should not be in the Christian community. Uh, we should not be canceling our brothers, our sisters in Christ, uh, including our brothers and our sisters who committed the grave sin of being born in another century. Uh, we, we bring our understanding of ethics 
into a conversation with somebody who was born in the 1700s, in the 1800s, in the 1900s, and we say, well, they were wrong on this, and so we've got nothing to do with them, and anybody that has anything to do with them or respects or honors them is therefore participating in their sin. Uh, and I'll give you an example. The guy who is sort of the the poster child for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the man that God used uh, singularly uh, to, to help shape the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, is J. Gresham Machen. And J. Gresham Machen was living in the 1920s. And he never spoke publicly about his view of other races, but he did write letters to his mother uh, in which one of those letters, he said that he was uncomfortable with having segregated housing on the campus of Westminster Seminary. He didn't like the idea that... Uh, no, desegregated. I'm sorry. He didn't like the idea that, that people of different ethnicities, particularly blacks and whites, were housed together in the same dormitory. So what's our response today to that? Well, one will say, Machen was a racist, cancel it. Uh, and the other will say, you know what? Machen had a blind spot here. He had some clay feet here. I'm going to take what is good uh, from what he did. I'm going to take what is good from what he taught, and I'm going to focus on that, and I'm going to recognize that just like him, I'm a sinner, uh, and that I have my own blind spots, and I, I need to extend grace uh, where grace is needed. Yeah, that's a good question. How do we address the person who says Machen's blind spot permeates all the good that he did? And let me let me bring a different example in, which I think highlights your point more clearly, and that is Robert Louis Dabney. Uh, Robert Louis Dabney was a great theologian, uh, uh, wrote, you know, taught in seminary, wrote a number of books, and in his book that was written after the war, uh, the Civil War, uh, the book is entitled uh, In Defense of Virginia and the South. And he clearly is an embittered man. There's a lot of bitterness that comes through in that book, and there's a lot of racism uh, that, that comes through very clearly in his book In Defense of Virginia and the South. And... So what do we do with Robert Louis Dabney? We could say that his racism infects all of his, of his ministry, of his theology, his view of preaching, uh, we need to get rid of. We shouldn't be reading his, his book, uh, Evangelical Eloquence, uh, his view of the atonement. We shouldn't be looking to, to Dabney to, to establish the, uh, uh, substitutionary, uh, propitious view of the atonement, uh, even though Dabney is the one that established it. Uh, the penal substitute, I'm sorry, that's uh, his, his book, Christ, Our Penal Substitute, uh, very clearly establishes the, the penal substitutionary view of the atonement. Uh, but since Dabney wrote it, we, we need to not have anything to do with it. Um, 
And, and in terms of, you know, whether that sin infects, I think we need to use wisdom, uh, you know, to the degree that we can trace clear wrong worldviews in his thinking, uh, we should, we should isolate that and say, no, not that. However, I still do believe in the penal substitutionary view of the atonement, and Christ our penal substitute is one of the finest little books on that I've ever read. And, and let me, let me also add one, one other thing in this issue of brothers and sisters. I think we, I, I think there's a wrong view. Hear me really carefully on this. Hear me clearly. I think there's a wrong view that says, if this person is my brother, if this person is my sister, I have to love and accept them entirely without criticizing or without safety. Uh, if this person who is my brother, who is my sister, is given over to a particular sin, then there needs to be safeguards on it. It doesn't, it doesn't undermine the fact that they are my brother or my sister, uh, but it does mean that there needs to be a mature engaging with this and saying, listen, you know, this is a, this is a sin that you're prone to, uh, you need to you need to not be you know we need to have safeguards in place so that you're not doing this you know for instance uh a brother or a sister who is prone to overindulgence in alcohol i know that this person can't hold their liquor and i know that they just love to booze it up and you give them one drink and they're going to go for 40 they're still my brother they're still my sister 
but I'm not going to share a glass of wine with them. I'm not going to share a bottle of whiskey with them because I know what it's going to do. (laughs) I know that I'm placing temptation in front of them to give over to their sin, and so I'm going to be careful around them. Uh, I'm not going to place them in a place where they can uh, more easily and naturally be given over to their sin. And and I would say I'm using drunkenness and, and, and the abuse of alcohol as an example, but I would say these things are in all kinds of examples where, where we know that someone is a Christian. We know that they are our brother. They, we know that they are our sister in Christ. We also know that they have struggled with a particular area of, of sinfulness then being responsible means that we're going to be loving enough to them to, to, to not place them in situations of temptation. Uh, so somebody that you know struggles with the abuse of alcohol, maybe don't invite them out to a bar to have a conversation about their problem. Uh, <laughs> but be loving. Sorry? Yeah, they'll show up. That's, <laughs> you can guarantee that. And one more thing. I think the, the culture's handling of racism is exactly the opposite of what Christ did. Right? He came to a people that hated him. They were his people, yet they hated him. And he came and he bridged the gap. He stepped in. He had, he had every reason to give them up. We, we put him on a cross. We're all here. Yeah. And and uh, final. Well, let me let me make one last. Uh, okay, sorry. I'm gonna make two last points. Uh, but but to that, the final point that I want to make is ten or twelve years ago, I sat under D. A. Carson. I was working on a on a doctorate, and D. A. Carson was teaching one of the courses. So, for those of you who are familiar with D. A. Carson, well known Baptist minister. Uh, written a number of excellent books, commentaries, yada, yada. And D.A. Carson said that if there is a verse that everybody in our society knows, that verse is, judge not that you be not judged. And at that time, I think he was right. But I think our society has changed in the 12 years since D.A. Carson said that to me. Judge not that you be not judged has been flipped on its head. Be the first to judge to preserve yourself from judgment. Uh, the more I can point out your sin, the more I can point out your failing, the more I can point out your flaws, the more I can cancel, the safer I am, the more righteous I am. And the danger of that is we go back to the scriptures. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, it shall be meted out to you. Measure for measure, shaken down and pouring over. You 
are placing yourself in a position when you will look at another person who has received the grace of Christ Jesus, when you look at that person and you say, I'm better than you, I want nothing to do with you, you should be anathema, you should be buried under a rock somewhere, this person who has received the grace of Christ Jesus, and this goes back to the parable of the prodigal son. Was the prodigal son in sin? Yes. Did he abuse his father? Yes. Did he abuse his entire family? Yes. Did he abuse the entire name of Israel? Yes. <laughs> this guy is a scum bag. And at the end of the parable, it's the brother, the elder brother, the righteous brother who finds himself standing in the dark outside the father's embrace. And beloved, that's what you and I do when we judge another, especially someone who is united to Christ Jesus, who makes a profession of faith in Christ. So final point, because I got the watch tap earlier. Uh, final point, and I'll just mention this and scoot on. Uh, the last section of section three, nor does their communion one with another as saints take away or infringe the title or property which each man has in his goods and possessions. So the fact that we are one body in Christ, the fact that you and I are one, does not give me the right to walk up to you and go, hey, could I see your wallet for a second? Uh, we're brothers. We're one in Christ. You're to love me. <laughs> you have the right to your property, and, and so do I. And don't use union with Christ. Uh, and, and union with one another as an excuse to further your own covetousness and theft. Uh, so, so it does not undermine the right to property uh, that each of us have. So let me close there. Uh, kind of ran a little bit long, but I think a profitable discussion. I really do want to leave you, brothers and sisters, with this. Though. I mean, we, we studied the Confession. It's this 400-year-old document uh, you might wonder, you know, what's the point? I, I really think this particular section, sections one and two, are entirely relevant to our culture, uh, entirely relevant to the day in which we live. And I think we really need to be thinking about these things, meditating on them, chewing them over, and, and making biblical application uh, of these, these truths of Scripture. So let me close in prayer. Father, we do thank you that Christ Jesus has united us together to one another and together to himself. Uh, he has united us to you. He has made us one. And even though we look at some of the parts of the body and we think some are ugly and some are useless and some would be better amputated, you are the one who has stitched together the body. You are the one who has knit us together, has given us to one another so that we may learn how to walk in grace, in humility, and forgiveness, so that we may learn how to love as Christ has loved us. Uh, Father, strengthen us and give us that focus, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.